0: Thanks for inviting me to share, uh, being a part of your (coughs) series. It's a real joy and a real privilege to be with you all again. It's good to see some new faces since I last came. That's always a great encouragement to me, I'm sure to you as well. And uh, it's a great opportunity for me to uh, renew and have a chat with Rob. We were neighbours growing up. I lived in number five, he lived in number nine. There was another family in between us, but it was an idyllic place to grow up. We grew up in Lannisham. uh, well more about that in just a moment but it's good to be with you and i'm my little talk this morning my little uh, message to you is entitled a better way i don't feel like me but i always try and do things in a better way as i go through this journey of life for 40 years i was a teacher and during my time as a teacher i always tried to strive Better ways of dealing with the children, better ways of teaching the children. I began teaching in 1973, it's quite a long time ago now, and uh, life was very different in 1973 to what it when I retired in 2011. In the early days, you used to have to design and print and make, color in, design whatever your own know, posters. If you want to have a poster for a lesson, you'd have to make it yourself, and that involved many hours. Got my wife to help in that respect because she was quite artistic. By the time I'd retired I had a big white screen on the wall a bit like this and I could just at the click of a button throw up any picture I wanted any video that I wanted I could prepare my lessons at home and come in, in the morning on a little with a little pen drive plug it in and all my lessons all well, everything I needed was there on this big white screen and uh, I always looked for ways to, to just do things a little better. The way I sat the children, the way I talked to the children, the way I planned lessons and so on. And uh, I always did my best there at home. In December, my wife retired. And a couple of months after that were horrific. Not because she'd retired, not because she was just home with me, not because she had uh, taken away that little bit of freedom that I had in the three days that she did work. Uh, but she decided she'd revamp the house. She wanted to do things better. So the whole kitchen was gutted. Uh, lots of things were thrown out, machines and tins that we had there for years and years, never used. Now in our cupboard, you have little kind of long plastic containers. So if you want beans, you've got to try and remember which which row of plastic containers the beans are in and pull it out and find the beans. And, and uh, in the fridge, Used to, we used to have shells in the fridge now it's got lots and lots of plastic containers because this is a better way of doing it, she said, and, you know, there's a tray for yogurt, and a tray for cheese, and I don't know if it's better or not, but there we are, and <laughs> she thinks it's better, so there we are. We even have now a, an air fryer. Anyone bought an air fryer recently because of the, oh, no, I had lots of chicken heads. I thought everyone had an air fryer these days. When the cost of gas and electric shut up last beginning of last winter, and uh, we were sucked into the idea that if you bought an air fryer, that was a better way of cooking. It was healthy, it was quicker, and it used less electricity than a conventional oven. I think that's probably true, I haven't analysed my electricity bills that tightly, but we now have an air fryer which we use quite often, it's quite nice, it's quite convenient, and I think as I do I share my the, the, the job of doing the cooking in my home, I, I think that probably is a better way of doing things. But down through the years, many of man's inventions have uh, been created as a result of this idea that we can do things in a better way. The motor car, computers, televisions, anything you can think of was invented to try and find a better way of doing things, and that still goes on. I want to talk very briefly about the one uh, aspect of life which I think we are doing better these days. And it's this sort of thing here. I was a little bit late than I wanted to be here this morning because when I got my keys and my sermon and my Bible, I realized I couldn't find my phone. I said, I can't go without my phone. And my, my wife, Jean said, of course you can go without your phone. You're not a teenager anymore. But I, I said, no, 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 what if the car breaks down and what if and what if I need to be able to, so these things are very, very useful. Um, it hasn't always been as good as this. When Rob and I were young boys, we lived in a, a street on a council estate in Lanisham, and on the corner of the street, Rob will remember, it was a big red telephone box, right? Now none of us in those days, I'm talking about the 1950s, maybe the early 1960s, none of us had a phone like this for sure. None of us had a phone in our, in our homes, or very few of us, a couple that did, if you're if you're old like us, when you started having phones in your home, you had to remember what was called a party line. In other words, you shared a telephone line with lots of your neighbours, and often if you want to make a phone call, you'd pick the phone up and you'd hear people talking because one of your neighbours was using the line, and you'd have to wait until they had finished. But even before those days, we had we the only way we had of communicating with family and friends by phone was to go down to the end of the street and use this big red phone box Now, in those days you had to, it was black inside and had two buttons, a button A and a button B. You had to put the big four big massive pennies in and then if you got through you pressed press button A. If you didn't get through you press button B and you'd get your money back and you'd maybe try again later. So if you wanted to make a phone call you had to go down the street, hopefully, the box would be empty. If there were people there, and often there were, you'd have to wait. So there would often be a queue outside this phone box for you to make a phone call. If you wanted to receive a call, which you could do, people would help. You'd give the number of the phone box to whoever it was was ringing, and they would ring you. Well, that was fine. Again, if there was no one using it. But if someone in the phone box, it would cause chaos and you'd have to join the queue. And it was horrendous back in those days. But eventually, Uh, And it was a day of great celebration, we got an actual phone in our home, and that was amazing. 756754 was the number, a great number to remember, and it was happy days when we had a phone in our home. Years later, I actually got my first mobile phone, I think it was called a 3310. You couldn't play games on it, couldn't do anything on it, but it did make phone calls, which was great in those days. But communication is far better these days my daughter when she was 18 she's heading on towards 50 now amazingly she went to zambia on a mission trip and she went with well she was helped with echoes of service the missionary organization and they got her someone to fly out with which was a great relief to us that she'd have to fly out to zambia on her own and we kissed her goodbye at the airport and it was two weeks later before we had a letter saying, Dad, I've arrived safely. And we were glad about that because we have been worrying for, for two weeks. When my son went to India, things were a little bit better. He went on a mission trip as well. And he was able to, once a week, I think, go to an internet cafe. I don't know what program he used, but once a week he'd go to this internet cafe at a certain time and we had to be on our, our computer at home and speak to him. These days, it's very different. We have a missionary from our church back in Dennis Palace who works in Lesotho, well, that's in southern Africa, right in the middle of South Africa. And if I want to speak to him, I can just press a few buttons here, and not only can I speak to him, I can see his face, and we can have a discussion, and we can catch up. It truly is amazing. I wouldn't mind betting when Raj and Paul were in Hungary last week. Um, I you made some phone calls home, or communicated with those who are at home. Maybe just talking, maybe just seeing pictures as well. Truly the way that things have developed are really amazing. But I want to speak about mobile phones this morning. I want to speak about a better way that we find in God's Word. The Bible shows us a better way, and I want us to read it together. Two readings this morning. The second one's a bit longer, the first one's not too bad, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. The first reading is from Jeremiah 31. Verse 31 to verse (laughs) 34. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Now remember, before I read these words, these words were written 600 years before Jesus came. These words were written 600 years before The event took place. Before these changes, this better way came into being. And that, of course, is when Jesus was nailed to a cross. So, Jeremiah 31, 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Great words there, aren't they? Written by this man called the weeping prophet, a man who faithfully served God, a man who faithfully gave God's message out to the people of his time. And most of the time, sadly, the people never listened. But still, that old prophet kept on giving the message. And one of the messages he gave was this new covenant, a new way that God was going to do things. God had created a better way for us to have a relationship with him and it begins with that man on a cross, the one we've thought about already this morning so much. When you look up at that figure on the cross, the Lord Jesus there as he died there at Calvary, what do you see? Pontius Pilate, the man who condemned him to death, saw some obscure Jewish teacher that he was kind of half glad to get rid of. The chief priests, and the religious leaders of the day who looked up and saw Jesus on the cross, they saw a troublemaker that had finally got his commitment, to finally be dealt with. Those who passed by, no doubt they saw just a common criminal who was receiving his just rewards. Mary, as she looked up, she saw her firstborn son. The beloved disciple of the Lord Jesus saw his closest friend. The other disciples, well, I'm not sure. Maybe they're trying to work out who it was and where this fitted into the great plan that he had. But today, as we look in our mind's eye at the Lord Jesus there on the cross, we can see one who understands our suffering because he suffered. We can see one who saw what it's like to feel the depth of sorrow because. He himself knew a sorrow like no other sorrow. We can see he was someone who had compassion for our weaknesses because he has borne the consequences of our misdeeds. We can see someone who is prepared and willing and able to carry our burdens and to comfort us. And we can look knowing that as we see the Lord Jesus dying there on the cross on that very first Good Friday, we know now, coming was the first Easter Sunday. After that separation, when Jesus, it wasn't just the physical suffering which made the cross so horrific. It was the mental anguish of being separated from his father. His father turned his face away, as the hymn writer reminds us. Because after that separation, there will be reunion. After death, there will be that resurrection. Resurrection. So in that, we can see God showing us a better way. But it's not only the Old Testament, 600 years before it came into being, that we read about this new covenant. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews, and chapter 10. Hebrews 10. We read these words. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the, never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder for sin because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and of goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sinner offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sinner offerings you did not desire, nor were pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which could never take away sin. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he said, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and Lord and facts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Took all the words, maybe to just comprehend without really studying them, but outlining there the writer to the Hebrews, this new covenant, this better way that God has given us for having this relationship with Him. 600 years after that old weeping prophet penned that beautiful promise. On that first good Friday, as Jesus hung there on the cross, that promise was kept, and the new and better way was established. So what does this new, better way, this new covenant promise? First of all, the new new covenant offers an inner change of mind and heart that can only be produced through spiritual regeneration. The writer to the the Hebrews, remembering and quoting those words from Jeremiah, said this, I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. The former covenant, the old law, the old way of God's dealing with people, was external. It was engraved on tablets of stone. But 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3 reminds us about this. It is not carved in tablets of stone, but on human hearts. This new way is a much better way, and it happens through God's To the Holy Spirit's ministry. Secondly, the old covenant that God gave to Moses there on the mountain, and you remember, provided the religious leaders alone to be taught the legal concepts of the law with its complicated rituals and regulations. Those of us living under the new covenant, this new and better way, are taught by the Lord Himself through the Holy Spirit living within us. In Ezekiel, God writes this. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Third, under the old covenant, the old way of doing things, there was a continual reminder of the people's sin. An animal sacrifice was offered. Hebrews 10 verse 3 says, And I read it, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of the sins. Because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So when the people gave that sacrifice, they were reminded year after year after year of their failure, of their sin. Under the new covenant, this new way that God has given us of of doing things, Jesus was that sacrificial man who once and for all, the Bible tells us, took away sin. Hebrews 10, 17, I read it, said this, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. That's amazing. And that word, no more, apparently in the the original Greek, would have been like a double negative, meaning no, never, under no condition at all, will God remember the sins of his people. Someone said to me the other day, it's not just God forgets or chose to forget, he chooses never to remember our failure, our sins. Things are so often bother us. Once we have confessed them to God, they are forgiven. And God remembers them no more. Fourthly, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. Hebrews 9 says, the previous chapter says this, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. For those that are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. He is the one who mediates the new covenant between God and his people. So that all who are received, who are called can receive that internal inheritance that God has promised to us. So it's through Jesus now that we can get our lives put right and become acceptable in God's sight. A mediator of course is a kind of middleman, someone who is a go-between to intervene between two parties of of differing backgrounds who desire to come together into some kind of covenant relationship. And what mediators do is to set aside their own interests for the sake of the parties involved and seeks to bring those two parties together. Any mediator must be someone who is trustworthy and acceptable to the parties involved to be able to secure a covenant. But through his death there at Calvary, a death that we have remembered this morning, Christ became the mediator of the New Covenant. And it's through him that we can get this relationship with God. And he has made uh, reconciliation possible to all of us who put our trust in his atoning work of Calvary. So in the New Covenant we see Jesus as being the perfect once and for all sacrifice. Sacrifices are interesting in the Bible. The first sacrifice you read of in the Bible was offered by Abel, So there is a hint of an earlier sacrifice in the Bible, because after the fall, God clothed Adam and Eve with the clothes made from animal skins. So in some way, God was obviously suggesting here to Adam and Eve that the death of a substitute was needed to cover their sins, and I have no doubt they taught this to the children. These animal sacrifices were intended to show the Israelites that God took their sins seriously. And their sin had to deal, had to be dealt with, and dealing with that sin was something that was costly. They also picked, of course, the ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God at Calvary. Hebrews ten again: Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our High Priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins for all time. Then he sat down at the place of honour, at the God's right hand, and there he waits until his enemies are humiliated, humbled, and made a footstool at his feet. For that one offering he made perfect all of us uh, who put our faith and trust in him. The Old Testament sacrifices were based on the Old Testament co- covenant. Christ's sacrifice that we remember this morning is based on the new Heaven, the better way. The Old Testament sacrifices just covered sin. Christ's sacrifice removes sin from us. The Old Testament way gave temporary forgiveness. God's forgiveness, Christ's sacrifice gives us eternal redemption. We're forgiven for eternity, not just for another year. The Old Testament sacrifices were continually offered. The amazing thing is, this better way, the way that we have through Jesus' new covenant, Christ's sacrifice was once and for all, and will never, through the length of eternity, will have to be repeated. The Old Testament sacrifice gave no power over sin. Through Christ's sacrifice, we have power to live and overcome sin. By his Holy Spirit. And that is why in John 19 we read those lovely words when Jesus is there on the cross. At the end of his time, as he's preparing to die, he gave that great cry, It is finished. All that he had to do was accomplish there at Calvary, and he finished the job perfectly. He shouted that great cry, It's finished, not because he'd given up, he'd failed, but because he had succeeded. He'd done the job he came to do. It's finished not because the clock ran out, but because he had accomplished the job that his father had entrusted to him. There's nothing left now for Jesus to do. Jesus said everything. The new covenant, the better way, has been established. Jesus has been, has been condemned so that we might go free. Jesus was forsaken there on the cross. Remember that great cry that he offered. So that we might be welcomed by our Heavenly Father. Jesus was laid in a grave so that we can be free from the worries of the grave for us. Jesus succumbed to death there at Calvary so that we, his people, might be triumphant over death. In that great day, that last day, and Rob's already mentioned this morning, some of us will have to go through that valley of the shadow of death. but others. We just trust that the Lord Jesus will come and meet us and take us home. The world looks at the cross so often and sees it as a symbol of shame. Because the Lord Jesus was hanging there, naked, numbered amongst the criminals. Just as the vilest criminal would have been. But as we look at that sight and we look through the eyes of faith, we see something of the glory of the cross. We see that the one who hung there would soon be raised in triumph and is now seated at the right hand (coughs) of his Father on high, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. When we look at the cross, I hope our sorrow turns to joy as we realise that we need only to trust in him and rest in him by faith, looking with hope and longing to the day when his full glory will be revealed to us. We have a better way given to us by the Lord Jesus there at Calvary 2,000 years ago, Mm. and let's rejoice. No wonder we should be a people of praise, as we've been reminded by Jesper this morning already. We should praise our God because we have this better way, and we are now with him, and our eternal future is secure in our great God. Let's pray. Mm. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious time together. Father, we thank you for the note of praise with which we began our time together this morning. Father... Thank you for reminding us as these services unfolded, we have much to praise you for. Father, we praise you for this new covenant that was secured in the Lord Jesus when he left the glory of heaven 2,000 years ago and became that perfect once and for all sacrifice for our sin. Father, we thank you that because of his death, we can have this relationship with you. We are yours. Help us, we pray, to live lives this week which reflect our gratefulness for all that the Lord Jesus has achieved for us in our town. May we live lives which please and honor him. Father, we just pray that as people look at us, they will see as they saw with those disciples' role, that we have been with Jesus. Father, so I thank you for this precious time together this morning. We go our separate ways now, we pray. A blessing upon us to keep us close to you, we pray. And we thank you for this new way. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and all that has <coughs> achieved our and it's through him that we offer our praise and thanks as well.